you would grab your Bibles as you grab your seat and open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to take a break one week from <clears throat> the Gospel of Mark. And we have these breaks built in every month or six weeks or so. Um, but this morning we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 as Paul teaches us about what it means to be a member of the church of God. Um, I think this is going to be important for us. Uh, I believe that not just in our church, but in a lot of churches, there is just a general lack of clarity on membership, on what it means to be a member, what that picture is. Um, and I think that this happens because the term member or membership is used by so many different organizations in such a wide variety of ways. I mean, we talk about being a church member. Is that similar to being members at a country club? Is that similar to being members at Sam's Club? Is that similar to being members at McAllister's? I went um, with a pastor friend to lunch this week at McAllister's, and he was bragging. He's like, hey, I'm a McAllister's club member. So that means there's a members-only menu that I can order off of that you can't order off of. And I was like, wow, how'd you, how'd you get to be a member? And he's like, I downloaded the app. I was like, oh, okay, cool, that sounds real hard. You know, so just depending on what you're thinking of and, and, and how you've heard this word used before, you might be thinking that being a member of a church is like kind of uppity or bougie, like it's like being a member of a country club. Or maybe you think it just is kind of like a sales pitch, like I'm just trying to get you to commit to our pyramid scheme or something like that. And this is why it's so important that we're going to look at what the Bible says, at what, how God uses the term member and membership, um, because it means something much richer than just who can vote and who can't vote. And so if you are here and you've been here, you've been around, or you're new or whatever, you're interested or not interested in membership, I just want you to know that this is an important thing for your personal spiritual growth, maturity, development. This is not just how the church functions, but it's how you fit into the church. This is not just who gets to vote or who gets to serve on the executive team. This is important for you. So let's look now <clears throat> at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. In this passage, Paul is going to give us a picture, something we can imagine in our minds of how the church works and functions together, and specifically how individuals are meant to fit within that church. I'm going to give you a different picture to start out with, but they're parallel, they're similar. Okay? When I uh, was playing Little League, it was not uncommon, I mean, this is, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago, people didn't take Little League quite as seriously back then as they do today. So it was not that uncommon that you show up for the first practice and the coach doesn't know who's good at what. He doesn't know who's here just to, you know, pick dandelions out of the outfield and who's here to play some ball, right? And so he just sometimes would say, hey, just run to a position. Whoever gets to a position first, you get that position for today, for practice today, just to see what we can do, okay? Maybe the guy who runs to the to, to pitcher's mound, maybe he can pick, pick off the guy at first base, or maybe he can just pick his nose. We don't know. We need to find out, okay? And so inevitably, when the coach would do this, all of the kids would sprint to one of two places, either the pitcher's mound or shortstop. Well, why? Because who do you hear about 
in baseball. You hear about pitchers and you hear about shortstops when it comes to fielding, right? Those are the people who get all of the attention. And so what would happen if we would imagine that the coach was just like, okay, sure, half of the team can play shortstop, half of the team can play pitcher. It wouldn't go well, right? We'd be an awful baseball team. It would not be hard to beat us because a good baseball team requires many different positions with many different skills all working together towards the same goal. Well, Paul's going to give us a similar picture of the church. He's going to help us to know how the different individuals work together as a whole. Uh, We see this in the book of 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a specific church in a specific city in Corinth. And they had a whole bunch of questions on what it means to be a church, how to do church. And in this pretty long letter, he answers a lot of these different questions. The immediate context for chapter 12 is that Paul was instructing on spiritual gifts. And a key verse would be verse 7. I don't have it on the screen, but you can look at it in your Bible. Verse 7 says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, every believer in Jesus is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives every believer at least one spiritual gift that is for what? For making that person super popular or for making that person uh, uh, something, giving them something to brag about. No, it is for the common good of the church. So your spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit has given you is for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And so, teaching on spiritual gifts and teaching on how all these gifts fit and function together, Paul then presented this metaphor, looking now at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So, the picture here is, imagine you've all seen a human body. If not, look around, okay? And one body is composed of or made up of many different individual body parts. Though there are many of them, though they are specific and unique, they come together to form one body. So it is with the body of Jesus, meaning the church, that we individually are the separate members of one body. We'll see this in verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So here Paul is describing the indwelling or the filling of the Holy Spirit. That when you place your faith in Jesus, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter about your background. It doesn't matter Jew or Greek, slave or free. It doesn't matter about your, your ethnic background. It doesn't matter about your religious background. It doesn't matter about your social standing or about your economic standing. As vast and as different as every Christian is, we all have this one unifying characteristic. We are filled with the same Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how different you are from the person sitting next to you or sitting across the room from you, you have this in common. The same Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And so if it's one source of spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit, that means we should have 
a unity of purpose. That all those gifts are used for or towards the same goal. So Paul then anticipates that the people in Corinth are going to have some questions. And so rather than giving them the chance to write back another letter, he just go ahead and answers the questions for them. We'll see three potential objections that someone might have about this teaching. Hey, it's just one body made up of many different parts. And they would hear that and they go, I don't know, Paul, here's my thought on that. My first question is, I don't really feel like I belong. As I look around at my church, I feel like I'm different, like I stick out, like I'm I'm not like everybody else. And so Paul has an answer for that objection. For the body does not, this is verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And those members are what? Different from each other. Verse 15, if the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. It would just be a confused foot. Verse 16. If the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to that to the part. Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Well, guess what? That would not make it any less a part of the body. Even though these members are different from one another, they are part of one body. Even though some of them might be visible or some might be more admirable than the others, they are still part of one body. I mean, the, foot, the eye and the ear are a great example. Give this tip to any young bucks out there that are dating. A good go-to compliment is, wow, you have beautiful eyes. Because it doesn't sound pervy. Nobody's like, eh, eyes, you know, like. Um. <laughs> but you never hear anybody say, like, wow, you have really beautiful ears, Right? <laughs> That's well, because ears are weird. They're like <laughs> flaps of skin that have weird creases and angles. and They're weird, right? They're not as pretty as eyes. That's just the truth, all right? I, I don't know, whatever. You're maybe into something weird. But um, so it doesn't matter if the ear is uglier than the eye. Guess what? It's still part of the same body. And so what Paul is helping us to understand is that even though we are different from each other, that is true. We are different from one another. We have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in us, which means that you, regardless of how different you are, if you're a Christian, you still belong to the body of Christ. Meaning all Christians belong as members of the body of Christ. All Christians belong as members of the body of Christ. As you think about the different clubs or groups or organizations that you could belong to, you could uh, basically anything and everything, right? I mean, especially on Facebook, there's a group for everything. Hey, we have this kind of tattoo. That makes us similar. Or, oh, hey, we like this band. That makes us similar. Or, hey, we like to dress up in furry costumes and go to conventions. That's a thing. Uh, A very popular thing. Um, That, you know, we're similar in this way. That makes us like each other. As we think about the body of Christ, our unity is so much deeper than superficial similarities. It's not about what we look like or where we came from or how we grew up. What is unifying about us is that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives. 
all of who we are, the focus of our lives, the devotion of our hearts is King Jesus. And that unifies us regardless of how different we are from one another. The Holy Spirit of God is the same one in me, is in you if you are a Christ follower. And no matter how different we are from one another, we are unified by that. Even someone who doesn't like the idea of being unified to the church, I'm sorry to tell you, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are unified to the church. Some people think that they're better off following Jesus, doing it by themselves. Came across an interesting historical figure, a monk named Simon the Stylite. He lived in the 400 ADs. He was the stylite, not because he was real stylish, uh, but because the Greek word style means pillar, like the things that hold up a building. And so as Simon became a more popular teacher, he had all these people coming to him with questions. And he got annoyed by that because he felt like all these people around him were a distraction from his relationship with God. And so he actually came across this old Roman pillar that was like 10 feet tall. And he's like, I'm going to live on top of that. He had a little platform on top of this pillar and he lived there because he wanted to be farther away from people. Well, guess what? People still kept coming and asking him questions. So then he built a taller pillar, and then he built a taller pillar. This dude ended up living for years on top of like a 50-foot pillar because he wanted to be away from people. And some of you were like, I don't know, that sounds kind of nice. I mean, (laughs) if I had Netflix, you know, and my dog, you know, maybe that's one thing. Okay. The point is, regardless if you're an introvert or an extrovert, God has designed us to do this thing called church together. That's what the word church means. It's the gathering. It's the assembly. You are not a church by yourself. And in the same way Paul is telling us, you are not the body by yourself. You're a member of the body. One component. And if you were off by yourself, guess what? I mean, imagine a hand off by itself. What is it doing? Nothing for the benefit of the body. It's dead. And so, there are those who claim that they are not members, and because of the Holy Spirit living in them, they are members. They just are delusional, disobedient members. Those are strong words, and I'm not trying to be ugly, but that's the reality of the picture that Paul is painting for us. I'm a hand of the body of Christ. Well, then you need to be connected to the body of Christ. There is um, this condition called alien hand syndrome. You can look it up. You can find videos of this on the internet where, for whatever reason, a psychological condition, there will be a hand or a limb, an appendage, that actually seems to act with its own thoughts and mind. And sometimes it does things that are contrary to the will or the desire of the rest of the body. Like you could find this video of this woman named Helena Cox in 2018. She's trying to blow her nose and the other hand just keeps stealing the tissue and like throwing it. And she's like talking to it like it's a chihuahua. She's like, you quit that. Cut that out. Alien hand syndrome. Crazy, right? Well, those who are Christians who are not connected to the body of Christ are basically disassociated members. 
They're not helpful to the cause of Christ. They're not working towards the purpose of the body. And so, what I hope this text makes abundantly clear is you belong here. Or if not here, if this is not the church that God is calling you to, you belong to a church. That without one, you are not the body of Christ. Even as important as family devotions are, even as important as home worship is, that is not the body of Christ. Because you don't have all the members working together for that purpose. And so, you belong here. You belong in the body. This is where you will find purpose. A hand without a body is no good. So your purpose is to be a member of the body. And so, he answers this question for us. I don't feel like I belong. But then he anticipates that there's another question. Okay, I don't know, maybe I belong, but I just don't feel that needed. I look at this person, and they're so gifted in this way. I'm not gifted like them. So what about me, Paul? And he has an answer for that question. Look at verses 17 through 20. Well, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And the answer is, there would be none. The body would be less effective. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And the answer is, there would be none. The body would be less effective. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Keep that in mind. This being a body of Christ is whose choice? God's choice. And he has arranged us according to his will and his desire. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? In other words, I look at that member, I look at their gift, their skill, and I think I'm not as important as them. And Paul says, well, if we were all like that person, what would the body be? The answer is dead. And he'd give us this strange thing to imagine if the whole body were an eye, like just hundreds of eyes gooped together, gross and ineffective. Not a good body, in fact, a dead body, because there's no heart pumping blood. There's no brain operating the body. And so if all were a single member, where would the body be? At least ineffective, if not dead. And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So his answer to our question is this. It's exactly because you aren't gifted like that person. That is why you are needed. It's because you have a different gift. If we all had the same gift, we would not be an effective body. Let's just think of my role. I'm visible. You see me every week. If we had a, a, a church of 300 preachers, it would be a disaster. We would not be effective. We would never get to go home. <laughs> and we would not be an effective body for Jesus. We need all of the different skills, all of the different parts working together for the same purpose. And so secondly, from this text, we see that all Christians are gifted to serve the body of Christ. All Christians are gifted to serve the body of Christ. We all had one gift. Where would we be? Ineffective or dead? Meaning, you fit in this church. Your position, your gift is God-arranged. 
And as perfectly as he designed the human body, we don't have any extra eyeballs that I'm aware of, right? He did a pretty good job. As perfectly as he designed the human body, he has so designed the church, perfectly arranged, needing every single part. The human body actually has at least one unnecessary part that I'm aware of, which is the appendix, right? Some of you in this room don't have your appendix, and you don't miss it. You're not ineffective or less of a human without that appendix. Well, the body of Christ does not have an appendix. There is no member that can go missing, and it wouldn't be a problem. And it doesn't matter what your gift or your skill is, you are still necessary here. Now, I know what all of you in hearing this passage are immediately thinking of. Two figures from the Old Testament immediately popped into your mind. Bezalel and Aholiab, right? Immediately, you're like, oh yeah, Bezalel and Aholiab, right? Now, probably not. They're from Exodus chapter 35, and when God is uh, given the description of how to build the tabernacle, he says, use Bezalel and Aholiab. They are craftsmen, like um, embroiderers and like working with special metals and jewels for the construction of this tabernacle. It specifically says that the Holy Spirit has filled them with skill for this purpose. And nobody remembers them, old Bezalel and Aholiab, right? And that's okay, because God gifted them and used them exactly how he wanted to. And he has gifted you and wants to use you specifically. It's not a coincidence that you have the gift that you have. It is God arranged that you have the gift that you have. And God wants to use you. And in fact, to refuse to be used would be rebellion. I mean, think about other clubs, other memberships, teams. If you stop contributing, what do they do? They kick you out, usually, right? I mean, so why would the church have a lower standard? This is not just a, a, a membership in name. It's not something that is light or meaningless. It is saying, you belong here. We need you to contribute. There are no passive members. There are no appendixes in the body of Christ. So, um, it doesn't matter that you're gifted differently. It doesn't matter that you think your role is less important. And in fact, it doesn't even matter if your role is even visible or not. That's the the next thing that Paul is going to help us to understand. You say, okay, I'm different, but I still belong I, I didn't think I was needed, but I am needed. But guess what? My role is not as good as that person's role. I'm upset. I wish I had that job. Well, this is what Paul says to that. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Now, why would those appendages say that to each other? Well, some of those are more visible than the other. The eye, everybody sees the eye, the hand is less, less visible, right? Especially the head compared to the feet. People don't walk around looking at each other's feet, they walk around looking at each other's heads. The head is the more visible role in that option. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. I don't know if you mark up your Bible, but if you do, that's a word to underline. 
indispensable. What does that mean? We can't do it without this thing. That's, how, that's when something is indispensable. That if it is missing, we function less effectively. So regardless of if you think that this part of the body is strong or weak, visible or invisible, it is indispensable to the body. He then goes on to, to give us a picture based on modesty standards. There are some body parts that, because of modesty, need to be covered up. And there are some body parts, like your face, that are always visible. And so, follow this. Verse 22. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we actually bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, and... And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. He's saying that we actually, because those unpresentable parts are covered up, we're actually bestowing upon them honor. Well, why? How does that make sense? Well, we follow this based off of patterns that we see in Scripture, that the first will be last and the last will be first, that those who uh, humble themselves will be exalted, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled, that God uh, sees what is done in secret, that when you serve in secret, when you give in secret, when you pray in secret, God honors you for that. And so the roles in the church that are less visible are actually more highly honored by God because the roles that are more visible are more highly honored by people. And in God's economy, he honors those who serve humbly, not visibly. And so um, let's be careful not to overpress this metaphor. So just a little warning here. All metaphors can be pushed too far and you get wonky teachings out of them. Uh, like Jesus' parables, for example, have one big main point. And if you try to find truths and all the little details, you can get some strange things. So what Paul is not doing here is saying there's a one-to-one comparison between every single human body part and a role in the church. Big picture is some are more visible, some are less visible, okay? And if you start going one-to-one through all of the body parts and trying to come up with a role in the church, this is going to get pretty strange pretty quick, okay? That's not what Paul is trying to tell us. Instead, the big picture is some roles are more visible and some are less visible, and God honors those who serve with their gifts even when no one else sees it. Verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So that, resulting in this, that there would be no division in the body. There's no reason to fight and say, that person's job is better than my job. That is based off of human standards. In God's economy, all of the parts receive honor because they are used in the way that God has designed. So there is no reason for division. Instead, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Because there is no division. It doesn't matter if your role is visible or not. God honors us together because we are one body. 
Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So it doesn't matter if your role is visible or not. All Christians are honored equally in the body of Christ. All Christians are honored equally in the body of Christ. Go back to that first practice at Little League. Why does everybody rush to shortstop or to the pitcher's mound? It's because there's an assumption that there is more honor in that role because people talk about the shortstop and the pitcher more frequently than they talk about the right fielder. And so we have to redefine in our minds how honor works in the church. It's not based off of what role you play. Instead, a better picture is seen in when an NFL team wins the Super Bowl. Okay, An NFL team has a 53-man roster, but when a team wins the Super Bowl, the NFL pays for up to 150 rings. And sometimes the team pays for an additional number of rings. Well, why do they need 150 rings if it's a 53-man roster? Well, it's because when an NFL team wins the Super Bowl, everybody in the organization gets a ring. The coaches, the people on the practice squad, the injured reserve, even the people who work in the front office answering the phones get a ring because the entire organization is being honored in that moment. Yeah, we talk about the quarterbacks and the coaches and the receivers, but the whole team receives honor. And this is a much better picture of how God honors the church. We are all honored together regardless of what role you play in the church. Why? Because we are all equally indispensable. If nobody paid the bills in the office for the NFL team, well, guess what? The team would fall apart. But nobody thinks about that person. Well, in the same way, in the church, there are many, many roles which people don't really think about. And guess what? In God's eyes, you are honored when you fill that role. Just to really put, twist the screw here, nobody really thinks about those serving with the preschoolers or the children, right? But God honors those people for their service, for their obedience. Because when the body is honored, our church is growing. This is a fantastic thing to see God doing this in us. And guess what? It's very easy to honor the pastor when that happens. But the people who are serving with the preschoolers right now deserve the same amount of honor. Because if we didn't have someone watching our preschoolers, the church would not be growing. There's a visible role and an invisible role, and all are honored equally in God's body. Because we are one team, one body, working for His glory. Which means there should be no division, no reason for jealousy, and we should care for each other equally. So as, as we think about this picture that Paul has painted for us, it provides a lot of clarity, but I would imagine that there are still some questions that have gone unanswered. I mean, this is why I provided for you this handout that are on the seats for you, where I've just walked through, I don't know, maybe 
10 or so frequently asked questions about church membership. And there's so much more that we could say that I don't have time to cover today. And so I would encourage you to read through this document. And if there are more questions, either come to me or the staff. If we need to do an extended sermon series on this, we can. Whatever we need to do to have clarity on this, we need to do it. Because clearly, this is very important for the effectiveness of our church. This is very important for how well we build God's kingdom. But I wanted to address just a couple more questions as we wrap up this morning. And the first one is that I think that people often come to this this topic and they have some apprehension because they say, I don't know, are we talking about membership in the church? All the churches? One big church? Are we talking about membership in a local church? And the answer is yes. Paul talks about both of these things even in this passage. In verse 13, he said, In one spirit we were all baptized, talking about the church of all time. The picture we get in Revelation 7 of every tribe, nation, and language, and tongue gathered around the throne room of God. That is the end of history that we are walking towards as God is guiding us. And I don't think that around the throne room of God we're going to have a little section for EBC. So there is one church. And yet, this is the church of God. Where do we see that? Verse 27. Who is Paul writing this letter to? The church in Corinth. And what did he say to them? Now you, okay, in Greek, that's a plural you. We don't see that in English. So actually it's, now y'all are the body of Christ. Who is? The church in Corinth is the body of Christ. He didn't say they're one little section of the body of Christ and one day we'll all come together. No, the church in Corinth has everything it needs to effectively fulfill the commission and the commandments of their Lord because they are the body of Christ. And so don't let this big picture of how history is going to end with the bride of Christ coming to the groom distract you from your responsibility in one specific local manifestation of the church. And I've already said this, maybe that's EBC, maybe it's somewhere else, but it is somewhere that you are indispensable. I mean, if that doesn't make it in black and white, I don't know what will. What church are you indispensable to? Not the church, right? If you died tomorrow, the church isn't going to fall apart. What church are you indispensable to? I don't know about you, but I'm not indispensable to First Baptist. I didn't show up there this morning. Nobody's called wondering where I am. I would hope (laughs) if I hadn't showed up at EBC this morning, there might have been a hole or two that wasn't filled. Thank you. Thank you. This just shows us. God intends for you to be connected to and committed to a local church, one specific church where you are indispensable. Whose burdens are you responsible for bearing? I mean, we, when one member suffers, all suffer together. Are you responsible for bearing the burdens of every Christian alive today? 
Or do you have a unique responsibility to bear the burdens of the people in the room with you this morning? If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Where do you belong? What member would be missing from this body if you weren't here? And so, yes, this is an important picture for the church, but this is an important picture for the health and the effectiveness of this church, Emmanuel Baptist Church. As I have talked with people, not just at Emmanuel, but at other churches as well, in my experience as a pastor, I've primarily come across two hesitations for people who don't want to commit formally to membership. And the first is that they don't necessarily agree to having a standard set for membership. And the second is that they're, they don't necessarily disagree that there should be a standard, but they're nervous to commit to that standard. They're afraid that they're going to fail in some way and they're going to get called out or embarrassed. And I think both of those hesitations miss the point entirely. We did not set the standard. Jesus did. I mean, we could... Uh, our church covenant is about a paragraph. We could change it to one sentence if you want, make it much shorter. We could go with Matthew 5, 48, when Jesus said, Therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a pretty strict standard, Jesus. So there is no following Jesus without taking up your cross. There is no following Jesus without admitting that I have a responsibility to strive toward the standard that he has set. So why would church membership be any different? So if that's not the issue, then let's, what about this concern that I don't want to commit to that standard because I'm going to be embarrassed or I'm going to fail? And that is the opposite thinking of what you should have. Of course we're not going to be perfect. Of course we're going to fail. Of course we're going to fall short of the standard that Jesus has set. That is why we need each other. That is why you would want to commit to EBC so that you know that there is someone who's going to stand next to you when you fail and they're going to pick you up and they're going to point you back towards Jesus. Because we're going to bear one another's burdens. Because we're going to be indispensable to one another. This is why I want to be a member of EBC. Because I need brothers and sisters along beside me, helping me to daily strive towards Jesus. I think that word is so important. Oh, we're not going to be perfect. And we don't expect perfection at EBC for our members. Instead, we expect this, that together we would strive towards the standard. And if you can commit to striving towards the standard, then this is the place to be. This is the place that you would want to commit to membership because we will commit to you as well that we're going to strive with you. We're going to continuously fall short of that standard, and then we're going to continuously together strive towards that standard. And so, you need membership. And guess what? We need you. If you belong here, and we don't have you, we're missing a body part. And we cannot be as effective in building God's kingdom without you. Father, we're so thankful for your perfect and holy word. We're so thankful for how it both encourages us 
and it corrects us. We need both of those things, Lord. We're so thankful for Emmanuel Baptist Church that we have a family that we belong to. We're so thankful for the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, giving us gifts. We're so thankful that there is a place that we are indispensable, that we know without a doubt that you will use us to build your kingdom. What a good promise, Lord. Because we want to be useful to your kingdom. We want to see you make your name great through us, through our efforts. So help us to be committed to the body that you have called us to. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be gracious and merciful to one another. That when we fail, come alongside each other and bear one another's burdens. Father, you are too good to us. We love you. We know it's only because you loved us first. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.